what was there was a meme about Sasha and like Nadella. Somebody's like, I'm just waiting for him to say Microsoft is now no, a he did. Enterprise. He oh, did. he did say that. Yes, I thought. Okay, I thought that was a joke. <laughs> no, 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 no. He said it first. He was one of the first like big tech companies um, to use the word metaverse in public. And welcome back to Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. Uh, Adam, how have you been? How's your summer so far? Good. Uh, as, as, as I know you love to ask about my car, as you know, I was just going to ask about your car. <laughs> I took a road trip, uh, while yes. we were off to, to Montauk, which was a nice, an excellent use of, of the car. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, flew a drone around uh, the beach a bit. Um, it was a fun time. Oh, very exciting. Did you, uh, realize anything about your car? Like that, like the cup holders are in the perfect position or, you know, oh, they're definitely not. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> cup holders are never in the perfect position. I found I, it's just like, do people who design cars drink uh, beverages in their car? Because <laughs> It seems like they don't. Uh, well, that's great. I'm glad, you know, you, you really hit the open road and, uh, you know, are, are putting the, putting the miles on it, kicking the tires. I don't know. Car speak. Actually, you know what I was thinking about is uh, because I was driving and uh, and had a newly acquired drone is I think mm-hmm. it was two years ago at CES. We saw a vehicle that had a drone built into it that could like take yes. off out of the car yes. to like survey traffic for you. I really wanted that. I wanted That's, in that moment. would be cool. Uh, yes. I wanted a little drone like take off and landing pad on my roof. That would have been fun. Yes, that would have been super cool. Uh, get packages delivered. Um, all that would be <laughs> incredible well listeners we are back and we have a lot of news to catch up on it's been a bit been a minute since we've uh, had a news only episode so uh, we're starting off with some updates on the metaverse a lot of announcements have happened in that space and we want to just kind of uh, track that progress and then later on in the show we have some updates in the fintech space that we think are super relevant to our brand so uh just to kick things off adam there's been a lot of conversation around the metaverse between matthew ball launching his etf that tracks the metaverse facebook is now rebranding as a metaverse company i believe sasha like nadella the ceo of microsoft is now using the phrase metaverse uh disney's gonna be in a metaverse are these all the same metaverses? <laughs> is everybody talking about the same thing? Uh, uh, like, uh, what's going on here? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, no, uh, everybody's definitely not talking about the same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it does seem like uh, definitely at the that, the moment that, that Mark Zuckerberg started talking about it publicly, it seems like Wall Street, definitely VCs are, are, are hot for metaverse companies. I think Wall Street's catching on to the metaverse now as well. Uh, I think we're headed up that uh, peak of inflated expectations from our, our friends at Gartner from their hype cycle. Everybody has metaverse fever right now. Uh, and they're not the same thing. Uh, what, what Mark Zuckerberg is talking about is... I think what we talk about when we talk about the metaverse and what Matthew Ball means when he talks about the metaverse, which is, you know, a 3D immersive uh, environment uh, that is basically an immersive version of the Internet as we know it today. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's some some differing opinions as to whether that will be one thing or or multiple linked experiences. That's the widely held perception of what the metaverse is. Microsoft is talking about a virtual place that you do work, which might be Hmm. something that's 3D and immersive but also 
they kind of talk about teams as a metaverse and that i feel is really really pushing the boundaries <laughs> pushing the limits <laughs> of what teams can do i, there, I don't eh? know <laughs> teams does not seem super immersive to me at least not in a good way <laughs> and uh disney it's i think disney potentially has some interesting ideas but they tend they're they're talking about a metaverse as something that bridges to the real world which is interesting but they haven't really explained what that means and how they intend to do that so i think i think there's a, a little bit of hand waving going on uh in at disney uh, about it because they see that it's a, a hot topic that people are, are interested in and frankly disney is super well positioned to build uh, a metaverse uh but their definition so far has been a little loosey-goosey yeah i mean i would say disney is in a great position to kind of think about what that intersection of the online and offline world is because they have parks and locations yep they could very easily build a experience on top of the physical experience that's already there that kind of gets you into like a digital disney park that's layered on top of a physical place they're headed in that direction some of the stuff that they're they've announced uh, they've announced some some more details of the forthcoming star wars larping hotel which uh, as oh, you know love. i'm very interested in yep. um, some of the things that they're doing there are headed in that really interesting direction they are hiring people to basically be uh, digital puppeteers for characters in that hotel so there would be a live person cool. controlling like a cgi alien or or, or drone or something uh and or droid sorry i said drone uh, and <laughs> you're stuck in that drone on your car <laughs> yeah um and i think that that's a soup because that experience is so expensive and so premium it's something that they can afford to do and that's super interesting when you start to think about um these other metaverse applications for something like that and how that might scale but uh you know they also are not great in gaming. Uh, their gaming strategy now is to license, license their property to other people and have them build it, which is fine, but is not good as far as a forward-looking metaverse strategy. A lot of that will need to be built in-house. So, uh, right. you know, I think they have some advantages, but also some uh, disadvantages when it comes to this stuff. Three separate different definitions of the metaverse. So I agree with you that uh, I think we're even higher on the Gartner hype cycle <laughs> of uh, inflated expectations. I, and we might be coming down pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to come down so fast, frankly. I think it's going to be... No, okay. I think everybody is talking about it as a future-focused thing, which is good. No one's saying we have a metaverse today, really. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Microsoft or Disney is thinking that. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that it's... It, it's the kind of thing, it's just like we see with a, a technology like voice assistants, which are super exciting when they come out, but then they don't improve as quickly as people expect mm -hmm. them to or want them to i think the metaverse is going to be kind of the same we have some interesting things happening right now some awesome experiments that point the way towards the future but it's it's not like we're gonna you know three years from now we're all going to be spending 80 percent right. of our day in these 3d immersive spaces uh there's yes. still a lot of other pieces to put in place both from a a technology perspective and also from a, a sociological perspective uh, where frankly even if microsoft wants us to spend all of our day in some kind of teams metaverse we're, we're really not ready to do that as a culture yet <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man i'm getting pretty close i spent a lot i spent a lot of time in teams um but speaking of you know developments that still need to happen in the metaverse we know epic games is really one of the leaders pushing the boundaries of what this metaverse can be and uh one of our recent bits of news is that they have acquired sketchfab and so those that don't know sketchfab is a uh database essentially a, a repository for 3d assets they have over 4 million assets that are all built out in 3d that developers can essentially use and put into uh digital environments uh so we know we talk about having 3d assets um well now 
the place where you would store those assets have a, essentially a direct link to Epic and uh, their entire Unreal Engine and essentially building out those 3D content and models and inserting themselves into a metaverse. So um, super excited for the team over at, at Sketchfab for this. But um, for our brands, where's to keep b- banging that drum, you know, build out some 3D assets. Yep. And I think this is makes a ton of sense. Um, Epic is their their strategy right now, their metaverse build out strategy is around uh, enabling digital twins of people, places and things. And Sketchfab is the leading repository of uh, of those digital twins of things, uh, as well as, uh, you know, 3D objects that, that don't exist in the real world. But I think this will help uh, Further integrate Sketchfab and that database into uh, into the Unreal platform and helping both both folks on the sort of uh, product design side, which is an area mm-hmm. that Epic is investing a lot of of Unreal uh, money and power into. Your when you design a product that will go to manufacturing in the real world, there, there will also be a version of it that will be available in Sketchfab right there. Um, and then also for folks who are creating these immersive environments, though they will have that rep- easy access to that repository of, of objects. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And Unity, the competitor uh, kind of game engine company to Epic, has also made a recent acquisition. So they've acquired Parsec, which is one of their biggest acquisitions to date for $320 million in cash. And so if you don't know, Parsec is a uh, a tool for game developers that got a lot of traction during the uh, pandemic that essentially was allowing them to access their work computers from from home. Uh, so it seems like this is kind of like, like an infrastructure functional tool that really help, you know, allow developers to build on their or in their engine, wherever they are. Yeah, it, it's it's a way for uh, for game developers to access remote computing devices, which is use has been useful for for folks during COVID because they may uh, be working at home from from a laptop, and this gives them you know better rendering power from uh, computers that are somewhere else. Um, I, this is more in line with Microsoft's version of a metaverse right now uh, <laughs> and remote work, uh, but I think it. Uh, Potentially has some implications down the road um, that uh, for for game streaming as well, uh, which is going to be a, a key component of enabling these sort of real time experiences for millions of people simultaneously. So I, I think that this is a little bit bigger than just this uh, simple what Parsec has been doing. Um, it you know Unity now has some some pretty sophisticated technology for s- accessing remote computing, whether that is at your you know, your local office, or it is uh, something in the cloud. And I think that that's going to be, you know, again, a key component to helping them build out their their metaverse tools, both for those creating and eventually for those uh, engaging with with metaverse properties. Absolutely. And our last uh, kind of bit of news on acquisitions in the space is Niantic has bought a LiDAR company, or I guess an app called Scanverse to help them create 3D maps of the world. Obviously, it makes a lot of sense for Niantic, just given the fact that their uh, games do kind of live in the world around them. And as we know, more and more iPhones in particular are going to have LiDAR scanners on them. Uh, it's a great way for them to really kind of build out and create more uh, exciting and kind of even even like um, better mapped uh, experiences that can kind of overlay on top of the world around uh 
a player, essentially. Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, Snapchat has been doing, uh, that they've been basically crowdsourcing a mapping effort uh, by using uh, using 3D renders of the, the space around you when you're using Snapchat. Um, and this seems like Niantic is headed in that direction as well, which makes a lot of sense. You, They have people walking around playing uh, Pokemon Go or the, the Harry Potter uh, uh, AR game, and they, they can crowdsource that to start generating mapping data that is proprietary to them and is, you know, relatively up to date uh, without doing what Google and Apple have done, which is roll lots of trucks down streets. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's an interesting uh, asset that they will be generating there. Yeah. And it, it seems almost like it'll be like a different type of map, right? Just given the fact, because like the use, like the use case isn't for driving, like a lot of driving Potentially, is yeah. like, that's like the mindset we think about for maps, but these maps could be just totally different because it'll be more so for like walking and have like that, like that gaming layer on top of it. So like the use case in the map itself could be utterly different, uh, which is interesting. That's a good point. We know that Google does send people with backpacks around uh, to walk to places that cars cannot get. I don't, to my knowledge, I'm not sure Apple is doing that um, yet, but we also know that Facebook plans to do that with their forthcoming, uh, their forthcoming glasses uh, collaboration with Ray-Ban. Uh, they basically said as much. So mapping remains a very competitive uh point of uh, integration for tech companies. So I think it makes sense that if you can, if you have the resources in some way to generate a proprietary map, that's only going to serve you well. So uh, again, I think this, it sounds weird to think that, oh, we're going to use Pokemon Go to generate a map. But uh, I think, you know, who knows what the quality will be like, but I think that it makes sense to at least give it a shot. Let's see, you know, what kind of data they can get uh, from all those players running around. And the cool thing about Pokemon Go is crowdsourced maps are kind of hard to do because it's like, well, how do you get somebody to go someplace where there's like no restaurants or shops or bars or anything it's like well pokemon go has a, a mechanic That's built a in, great to, in yeah a great to incentive get you there, to do that um which is uh, i think potentially pretty interesting for niantic yeah could put a gym on top of mount everest they'll pull their phone out <laughs> i hope there already is one frankly that would be cool yeah i don't know uh, we had to go explore that um well speaking of gaming and the metaverse uh i want to pivot into our next section around nfts and their role in gaming in the metaverse and it's kind of how they're becoming this i don't know like this new collectible this new way in uh kind of like, like a tangible good that i could see be kind of like transacted within the metaverse and so we have some brands that are um you know doing some nft collaborations to have their first approach into the metaverse essentially so First up, we have uh, Louis Vuitton. Uh, they're launching their own video game that features NFTs. Uh, and not only just a standard NFT, but there are about 11 people NFTs that are in the game. So if they're the same price as what it originally sold, <laughs> like that first photo for $69 million, um, this is going to be a quite expensive game. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did not pay people $69 million for each of these. Uh, I th my guess is this was uh, a pretty generous deal that was cut to maintain Beeple's brand uh, as, right. uh, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm sure he did, you know, receive a decent amount of compensation for it. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's very cool. It's it's an interesting way. You know, we generally steer brands away from developing their own games because it's really hard to do it well and then also to do it so well Maintain. that it's going to get 
it's going to get engagement. So this is an interesting way to do that. It's not, we're not just doing a game, we're doing a game that we're building in these unique NFTs. So if you're interested in gaming and a Louis Vuitton fan, you might be interested. Or if you're interested in NFTs, you might be interested. And frankly, yeah. I think the overlap between gamers and NFT enthusiasts is pretty high to begin with. So. Yeah. And Burberry is doing something slightly different where instead of building their own game, they are partnering with Mythical Games, uh, which is an NFT-based video game startup, to actually integrate NFTs that are clothing of Burberry that can, that can be actually featured in uh, the Blanco's Block Party game. And so that's kind of like the other way in, right? Is either you can build or you can collab and uh, get your articles of clothing, like your branding, into the game through um, an NFT. No, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense that we're seeing this in the luxury fashion space. Um, yep. We are, uh, the lab is currently working on a re new report coming out next month around the future of luxury. And mm -hmm. one of the things that is exciting about NFTs is it does enable that that digital scarcity uh, or it does enable scarcity that, that, that sort of makes yep. luxury brands uh, luxury in the first place. It enables that yep. on a digital level. So it is opening these new doors for these higher end brands to to really engage in ways that that you know they louis vuitton especially has uh has done um some interesting experiments uh, actually i take that back so is burberry uh they were in roblox just a couple of months ago so uh, yep. you know they're they're both i think at the forefront of figuring out uh how to evolve their brands uh, into a into digital luxury brands and uh, i think that nfts are an obvious step for them. And I, I would be surprised if this was the, like the, the Burberry and Roblox that I think was probably a one-time thing, uh, mm -hmm. at least for now, uh, for the foreseeable future. I think that I would be very surprised if uh, at least one of these two brands did not continue to invest in the NFT space. Yeah. Cause it's, there's value, right? Like we know right now the, the biggest challenge with NFTs is like where you display them. Like you can display them sometimes in games. There's, you know, if you look at like the Solana blockchain, there's like Star Atlas and a few other like metaverse concepts that you can uh, build an NFT on and display it in those environments, but kind of like separately. Uh, so that kind of consumer use case is still being worked out. But from this like a a luxury good standpoint, um, you know, making one of ones, making things exclusive, you know, NFTs really have that. Uh, built into the foundation of what they are. So it, it kind of gives them like like a new revenue stream to experiment with to see how and what ways people want to collect, essentially collect these items and then display them for um, status because uh, there's a real connection that's starting to happen between um, financial ownership and then like social status, right? Like, like NFTs are starting to blend this idea of your social status is kind of combined or integrated with the amount of money you see, like you spent on an, on an NFT. Yeah, well, and it's the, it's it's the first real way we have to do this digitally, right? People do this in the physical world all the time. This is why people buy expensive cars and uh, expensive handbags and things like that. So this we up until recently there hasn't been a way to do that digitally, really, uh, and uh, this gives people a way to do that. Well, that's going to wrap up the. NFT metaverse conversation, uh, a lot of developments going on there. And we, we quickly just want to touch on some uh, updates in the fintech uh, sector, uh, notably uh, with Stripe and with a neobank uh, Revolut. So Adam, we've been talking about social commerce and shopping and e-commerce a lot recently. And so Stripe has recently unveiled payment links, which essentially allow a brand to sell online without a website. They can just have a link and then there's a, a complete shopping and checkout experience within that link that'll pop up. So a great way for e-commerce brands to really, you know, remove the 
barriers to checkout, uh, essentially. And we're starting to see these types of um, super hyper-focused checkout experiences pop up all across different form factors uh, on on the web when it comes to e-commerce. So like really exciting new ways to drive sales and really make that checkout process even more seamless. Yeah. Um, I, you know, just to be super clear, this is for a single product, right? So it's like a, yep, it's like a product. What, there's no shopping cart that is click this link. It takes you to one product where there is a giant Apple pay button and, uh, you just hit the, Apple Apple pay. Pay, hit the Apple pay button and you've bought the product. Um, I think yep. this is super smart. Uh, we're seeing across the board, this trends towards moving the, the purchase and checkout closer to the consumer, right? We see this is the trend mm-hmm. in social commerce. Um, this is such an easy, obvious way for Stripe to sort of innovate in that space and give you these super simple uh, checkout options. I would expect that we see something similar from from our friends at Shopify soon, uh, who yeah. really had been sort of leading in the space. Stripe generally doesn't own the consumer experience in the same way that Shopify does. So it's interesting to see that this is really the first, I think, movement that they're doing in that space. Um, we, I do think that they're, they are going to start to become a little bit more of a consumer facing brand eventually. But, uh, I, like I said, I think I would be, I would assume Shopify does something, enable something like this very quickly as well. Um, because it's just such an easy, obvious thing. You can send someone a text message, you can tweet something, it can be a link in a newsletter. Uh, and it just, easy buy this thing now and you know hope you know i think the key for a lot of brands where some people will get tripped up here is like shipping minimums and stuff like that it's like if it's like buy it now but it's going to cost you ten dollars in shipping because really we designed this experience for you to buy to encourage you to buy multiple things what what this is actually i think an interesting and it would be you know interesting for some brands to test this of like is it better to try to get that cart the the total cart uh, value up, or is it better to just make it such a seamless experience that people are are hitting one click buy? I think it's probably better to do the one click buy. This is basically that one click purchase that is on Amazon that can now be anywhere on the internet. And I think, uh, like as with Amazon, the thing that the the grease that really greases the, the the thing that really greases the wheels of commerce in that situation is don't make people think about the shipping costs. <laughs> Convenience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just and, unless and, your product and, is super inexpensive and the shipping is kind of trivial, like it, yeah. Yeah. Make it as easy as possible for people to just say, yes, I want it. I got it. I see it. I want it. I got it. I like, I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to your point about shipping, right? Like there's, I think there are ways that like you can package up, you know, like, um, a set volume where it makes sense. So example, if you're like a CPG brand, it's like, you're only selling 12 packs, right? Like that volume would make sense versus like a single skew of, um, you know, maybe like, like, like a single skew of like, like a Coke, like that might not make sense where it's like, you know, like, like a dollar fifty two bucks and you have to pay $5 for shipping. That might be like a misalignment, but like, Oh, I can get like a 12 pack, like restock order shipped right in. Like, yeah. Boom. Although that, I think that makes the sense. other way to think about it is, uh, is to think about it as sampling, right? So like maybe, maybe normally you try to encourage a larger cart size and you try to, to encourage multiple, multiple SKUs. But in this case, we're, we're going to, put this live in a newsletter or something and it's only going to be the link is only going to work for a week uh and there's no there's free shipping just because we want to get this product to some new consumers uh that that have not been our customers before and then later when we re-engage them we can focus on things like the average cart size for this person it enables a lot of interesting new strategies totally 
And then you can, you know, in combination with these new companies that are essentially allowing brands to build storefronts on like Postmates and delivery apps and have same day or two hour delivery uh, at like a reasonable like delivery fee. I mean, there are options, you know, things are just, just the world's your oyster uh, when it comes to e-commerce. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out Nash and Catch or Cash. Nash and Cash are the two new kind of uh, two hour delivery uh, partners that have just that have just launched out of uh, Y Combinator for um, taking advantage of Postmates and Uber Eats and delivery apps, kind of like APIs to do same day delivery um, and kind of work within their systems. So uh, a lot of great innovation happening there. So it's a really exciting time to be um, thinking about e-commerce and your strategy and how you can take advantage of all these new technologies. Um, with that. I'll save my Shopify, my, my Shopify plug for uh, another time uh, and how we think that is the core infrastructure brands need to have access to all this e-commerce innovation. Uh, we have a whole deck on it. So if you're interested, listeners, hit us up. I will gladly present it to you. Um, heck, maybe we'll do a podcast about it. That would be a fun topic. Uh, lastly here, we just want to talk about the Neobank uh, Revolut as they have now launched travel booking features. Uh, so it seems like, you know, this is just like, like a new feature to help grow their user base to kind of provide that convenience and those functionalities that this new generation of bankers kind of want out of um, a bank. Now, Adam, before the show, one thing that you were mentioning is that it seems like all of these banks are trying to become a super app where they do everything for you. And there are some pros and cons to that. <laughs> yeah. The old way of thinking about super apps was that everybody was trying to be WeChat um, and yep. uh, and integrate commerce and customer service and, and everything into a messaging app. Uh, and that, you know, Facebook has tried to do that. It hasn't really worked out for them. Um, I'd say Snapchat is closer to that, actually, uh, in the US, uh, but still not having the success that, that WeChat has had in terms of really absorbing right. every other kind of application onto their platform. Uh, the new trend is financial apps trying to be super apps. So uh, I think this is uh, following in, in the, the footsteps of Alipay. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, we recently heard from PayPal that they intend to make PayPal and turn PayPal into a financial super app. Um, and uh, this uh this startup Revolut uh, really trying to do the same thing in that they're integrating their uh, this new travel uh, booking into into their main financial app. Now, a lot of traditional financial service firms like American Express and Chase and a lot of others have their own travel booking tools, but they're usually something separate. It's not like you open mm -hmm. the same app to check your balance or you know activate a card or pay your bill. And also right next to it is book a trip. It's a separate yeah. app. It's a separate business division. It's like a totally separate experience. Yeah. So what, or sometimes it's like a microsite within an app and it's like, just <laughs> right. get me out of exactly. here. The worst case scenario where, where like it opens a browser inside the app. Uh -huh. You're like, no, just uh -huh. link to Safari. It's fine. It's really fine. I can, I can manage it on my own. Uh, no, yes. Worst experience ever. Um, but uh, I think this is an interesting test. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I'm not super familiar with Revolut's app not being one of their customers, but uh, these one of the advantages these neobanks usually have is that their apps and their technology tends to be more modern. Uh, their apps tend to be better designed. So I my guess is that this will be a little bit more seamless of an experience uh, than what we were just discussing. Um, and it will be interesting to see, I think the opportunities there are for better cross-promotion, for more, you know, 
tap this button to see, uh, or, or even to pull in, hey, hey, with the amount of points you have right now, you could book a trip to uh, Montreal next weekend or whatever, right? To like have that sort of native integration of those technologies um, that is, is possible. That said, the downside of trying to build these super apps uh, is that they most companies tend to not be the best at everything. So uh, PayPal obviously is used for for payments and transferring money. I don't really want a PayPal bank bank account or a PayPal credit card. I certainly do not want to uh, invest in stocks using PayPal. Um, And yet that's what they think that they're going to convince consumers to do. Um, It's basically anybody that has any foothold in your finances these days wants to wants you to run all of your finances, including things like investments, uh, through them. And I just pretty much no company is the best at all of those things. And I just, I understand that there's a convenience factor, but I also question, you know, the, the, basically the convenience has to be so high that you're going to not shop around and look for somebody who's doing it better. Um, and I just, especially because most consumers already are using something in most in most spaces unless you're really you know catching someone at the beginning of their financial journey when they're a teenager um, they have some relationship already you have to unstick them from their existing relationship you have to convince them what you're offering is so much better and there's a little bit of, and sometimes it is but there's a little bit of a, a hurdle there and I think Maybe the play is we're just going to get the next generation as they're entering the market. Um, I definitely think that that's what is likely to happen uh, with with Apple, um, with the Apple card. We've talked about this before. It is going to be a lot of people's first credit card because it's so easy to manage. It has parental controls built in so your parents can sort of manage your finances for you when you're younger. And then gives them the opportunity to sell in additional products as you mature. But I'm not convinced that for all of these potential super apps that they really have the patience to wait a decade for teenagers to be in a, in, in a position where they're going to start investing to, uh, to really, you know, get them on board. So that's my rant about these financial super apps. Uh, it was perfect, Adam. <laughs> it was everything I wanted, uh, and more. So th- thank you for that. Yeah. Anytime. Um, well, listeners, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, I think the only note on culture that I have for you this week is I learned about the word Chugi. Uh, and so if you haven't heard that word, go hit up Urban Dictionary, find, find out about it. Uh, it now defines my entire life that I am off trend and out of touch, I believe. We, we will link to link to uh, an alignment chart in the show notes. Yes. Yeah, we'll have a chart in the show notes. Uh, so thank you, everyone. Uh, as always, you can find myself and Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam is at Adam J. Simon and the lab account is at IPG lab. Uh, so if you have any questions, if you want to talk about the show, let us know. We're, we're always happy to have a conversation. So uh, thank you all and we'll uh, talk to you soon.